Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of A Light Unto My Path podcast. I'm your host Howard Sides. Uh, today we're going to look at Revelation chapter number 9 and our continuing study through the book of Revelation. And chapter 9 uh, by the title is one of the woe trumpets. It describes the element of there's three woes that we're talking about. Uh, this woe trumpet describes the reign of the beast. And then when you get to... Uh, let me look forward in my notes here. I think it's chapter... Um, well, I didn't look it up yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, the first woe trumpet is in verses 1 through 12. And then the second woe is in chapter... Um, 12, I believe. No, the second one's in chapter 11. Yeah, I had it wrote down, but I... Sorry, I didn't look into it enough before I got jumped into this. But anyhow, uh, the first one we're going to talk about, the first woe, is here in chapter 9, verses 1 through 21. And chapter 9 is split up into two parts. Uh, the first part being 1 through 12, and then the second part, 13 through 21. Uh, the first part, chapter, uh, verses 1 through 12, talks about a satanically energized belief which affects humanity. A satanically energized belief which affects humanity. And then the second one, verses 13 through 21, is a satanically energized battle which alters history. A satanically energized battle which alters history. So uh, we'll try to get through the first uh, section here, verses 1 through 12. I don't know how well we'll get through that, but we'll try and see how far we get. So, if you will, turn to uh, Revelation chapter 9, and we'll read the first 12 verses. Okay, verse 1 says, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death, and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts were likened to horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. 
and they had breastplates, as it were, breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. And their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. One woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. Okay, so we've read the first 12 verses. Um, a satanically energized belief which affects or afflicts humanity. I'm sorry, I wrote that wrong. A satanically energized belief which afflicts humanity. Yeah, it affects it all right, but affliction is a better description of the word. Um, all right, now this is going to be split up into um, three parts, four parts, four parts. Uh, the messenger in verse 1, the mission in verse 2, the method verses 3 through 12, uh, and then the mention again in verse 12. Uh, so let me make a note here. 12. All right, so let's talk about the first one uh, in verse 1, the messenger. Uh, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Uh, so here the fifth angel sounds. I saw the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star, star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. So uh, we're to the fifth trumpet here uh now this chapter opens with that sounding of the fifth trumpet which is still during the first half of the tribulation period and that's key because you remember uh we were given those three woes and and chapter eight opened with those 30 minutes of silence talking about how bad things are going to get from that point on and we're not even in the second half of the trip which is called the great tribulation we're still in the first half uh, of of the seven years of tribulation, the first three and a half years. Now, uh, the woe trumpets, uh, which I entitled this chapter here, the woe trumpet, the reign of the beast. Um, it's a heavenly signal to those on earth, not used to divine or heavenly things to seek refuge, shelter, or protection from danger. Uh, it, it is an abnormal uh, sign. Uh, there are signs all in the Bible, and, and of course God gave the uh, Israelites many signs, but people who are on earth that are not used to uh, spiritual or divine or heavenly things uh, in signs and symbols, uh, they, they kind of need to be uh, not so subtle, but in a very clear and precise way, and, and that's what it means by the use of this trumpet. Uh, something that is, uh, it gives a loud blast, a sound of clarity. Uh, it demands attention. Uh, now note the divine principle of mercy in the midst of this wrath. As long as there is a possibility, God always gives opportunity. Only reluctantly does God give men up to the devil. God has no pleasure in the dead uh, of the wicked by any means. Um, even Christ said himself, he came to this world to seek and to save those which were lost. 
Uh, he would not have anyone turned into hell. Hell was designed for uh, the devil and his angels, uh, not for man. And we know that uh, hell was created only for the devil and his angels uh, in reading Matthew 25, verse 41, uh, which says, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So it doesn't come right out and say that hell was only created for them, but, but the, in, the insinuation is there. Everlasting fire is that part of hell. We've talked about those different divisions of the underworld before. Uh, that everlasting fire is the eternal place of damnation. And that's and then he adds that phrase, prepared for the devil and his angels. So that clarifies why it was even created by God. So it, it, man was not intended to go there. Man was intended to uh, believe in God, have faith in Christ, and to be saved from that. Okay, uh, the next phrase, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. Now, notice the star is referred to in personal pronouns later in this verse as him and as he. The star is different from the celestial bodies, which are mentioned in chapter 8, which refers to uh, meteors, meteorites, asteroids, whatever. Uh, this, this is different. Uh, it is referred to as uh, him or he. Uh, now, the word fall here, I saw a star fall from heaven. This word fall in the Greek is the word pipto, P-I-P-T-O, pipto. It means to alight, to fall, to fail, or to light on. This term does not necessarily mean this star was per se kicked out of heaven, but it could mean the star was dispatched or sent from heaven. So it, it's not necessarily when it says fall from heaven, uh, a derogatory term or a demeaning term, uh, because the, the word pipto also means to alight or to light on. Uh, so we know that. Now, most commentaries suggest that this star is Satan himself. They do do that. Uh, but let's go on and look at the rest of it. The next phrase, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. So he is given this key to open uh, what is called here the bottomless pit. Uh, in our study on the different parts of the underworld, it's also called the abyss. But because of the world's wickedness, God will allow a small portion of this part of hell itself to be unleashed on earth. And we hear all the time... I, I, I hear it constantly in some of the people I talk to. Um, God is a God of love. I can't argue that. God, God is most definitely a God of love. But at the same time, God is a God of justice. We are experiencing uh, the time of grace right now and mercy. Uh, but when we get to the book of Revelation, uh, grace and mercy, while still present, to an extent, the focus is on judgment. And it's not something that God actually uh, set forth a plan in motion to be that way. Uh, again, remember when he created man, he told him to walk in the Garden of Eden and not to partake of the tree of the, uh, 
that uh, in the garden there. And it was in the moment that they did that sin entered into their hearts. And so that was the moment when judgment became necessary. Uh, now, having said that, uh, Paul, in the book of Revelation, the very first chapter, if you want to flip over to that, we're going to read this, like, basically the second half of the chapter. Uh, Paul explains in good detail uh, why there must be judgment uh, and that this judgment uh, was not, as I said before, something that God intended uh, to be part of the whole creation. Uh, it is a response to what man has done. Uh, so if there is any reason to blame uh, anyone for judgment, it's man's fault. So over here in Revelation chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 18 and go all the way to the end of the chapter and, and listen how Paul explains uh, uh, about this judgment. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Basically saying they, they hide it inside themselves. They don't show it. Verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now here Paul is beginning the, to make the point that we can't blame God. This is our fault, and, and when the judgment comes down and we stand, uh, those that don't accept him stand before him, they're not going to have an excuse because even the invisible things uh, from the creation of the world are clearly seen. That's the light of creation uh, and things that are made, uh, uh, the humanity, uh, the heathen nations. They, they all see uh, not only the power of God, but the eternal power and Godhead. Uh, so he says, so that they are without excuse. Verse 21, uh, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So here he's talking about the rejection of God and the replacement of God. The rejection of verse 21 and 22, uh, talking about that, you know, when they saw creation, uh, they knew there was a God. And, and I've heard this excuse, uh, uh, statement many times that you can go into the deepest, darkest jungles of this world that have never been in contact with uh, civilization and they are worshiping something. They know there is a power greater than them. They know there's a God. Um, and, and then it says that uh, in rejecting God, they glorified him not. They were not thankful. Um, that stands out in that verse. Neither were thankful. Um, in all the years I've studied the Bible, I think the one thing that God has the hardest time with uh, above nearly any other point in the Bible 
of something that he doesn't like is this unthankfulness. I think that bothers God more than anything else. An ungrateful heart or being unthankful. And, and so uh, men have uh, created their own ideas, to, you know, whatever it may be. And that verse 22 says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And, and they'll know that in the end day. They're, they're, you know, they'll argue with you tooth and nail now, but they're going to realize it sooner or later. Uh, but then uh, 22, and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image, creating idols. Basically what it's saying there. All right, verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. That's flat out talking about homosexuality right there. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And it specifically says women, but you know that includes men as well. Verse 27. And likewise also the men, just in case you thought he was going to look you over. Leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. That's the third time that phrase has been used. 24, God also gave them up. Verse 26, God gave them up. Verse 28, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. What does the word reprobate mean? Reprobate simply means rejected by God. This is a reaction. R-E in front of that word, re, it's a response. It's not the beginning of something. They were rejected by God because they flat out refused to believe uh, in God. Um, okay, so God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Now, these are all terrible descriptions of, of terrible things. And he, and, and he throws in here one that might surprise you, but in the day we live in today, you can see um, how it could be added. We, we've never had a concept of this idea before. I, we understand what it means, but we've never seen it like we've seen today. The next phrase there is disobedient to parents. Disobedient to parents. Man, to throw that in there with wickedness, maliciousness, deceit, murder, disobedient to parents. That shows you where God, where that ranks with God. That shows you how important it is to him. Verse 31 without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, 
that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So you want to know why there's going to be judgment on this earth? There's the reason why. It's not God's fault. It's man's fault. Man failed to follow God's rules. God's promise to take care of us. And it was simple as just don't eat the fruit of that one tree. And they did. And so sin entered the world. So it's that simple. So um, again, back to the point. To him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Uh, this key must have been given to him by Christ. And you say, well, why was it given to him from Christ? That refers back to the very first chapter of Revelation, verse 18, where it says, uh, Christ says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. There's the key to hell. Christ had to allow this to happen. He is the only one uh, who has this key. So he had to give it to this star as it is. Uh, <clears throat> now, uh, but the star that the key was given to, is it Satan, as some commentaries suggest? Because we know Satan has access to heaven. And so was he dispatched from heaven to open this place? Or, what, or was it an angel? Uh, uh, not uh, Satan himself, or, or was it an angel? Uh, if you look forward to uh, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 1, uh, it kind of clears it up a little bit. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 1. And there it says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Okay, so here's an angel and here is this key. But something else, he has a huge chain. Now the key's phrase here is having the key. This angel is in possession of the key when he leaves heaven. The other side of the argument is in chapter 9 and verse 1 when it mentions the star falls from heaven. This is not a general term used for righteous or holy beings, so there's no conclusive evidence either way. Um... I personally, my opinion, believe that it would not be given to Satan. Uh, God would not give him control to that. And that, that being that he would have opened it and not only let part of these creatures out, because only part of them come out, not all of them. Uh, I, I think it's very clear. Uh, maybe we'll get to that a little bit later and kind of see that. But, but at this point, I believe it was an angel because of that reference there in chapter 20, verse 1. Uh, it says that an angel come down having that key. And so I believe it's the same angel that has the same key and that they were sent from heaven. It does use the word fall, which is not referencing to uh, a being of deity. It falls from heaven. That's that's usually a negative, negative uh, language. Um, so I don't know if I had to explain it uh, in my terms where they fall from heaven. Um, I don't know. I can't. I, I, maybe, maybe the fall is in reference to uh, him opening this bottom bottomless pit. I don't know. That'd be a good point to study for yourself. So there's your homework for today. <laughs> All right. Okay. So we see the messenger. Now let's move on to verse two. The mission. Verse two. 
chapter 9. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Uh, now, there's a twofold mission here. First is to open the pit, and the second is to introduce further judgments. So, uh, the first part of that, he opens this pit. Now, this is the abyss spoken of in Jude, verse number 6. The book of Jude, in verse number 6, and it says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains unto darkness, unto the judgment of the great day. Now imagine opening the doors of all the jails and prisons in the world, releasing the most vicious and violent criminals. As scary as that might be, it still has no comparison to this event that is about to unfold. So we're just getting into the opening, and we'll see what the results are uh, of that here in just a moment. Uh, so that's the first part of the mission is to open the pit. The second is to introduce further judgment. Uh, so why why is this happening? Why, why is God opening up this pit uh, and allowing this stuff to go on? Now remember, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But men refuse God and accept Satan, and so judgment passes on to that. Now, J. Vernon McGee, in his commentary, thinks this pit has a long shaft that reaches from the surface of the earth to the heart of the earth. Uh, the smoke rolls out of this pit like an erupting volcano and then covers the entire surface of the earth. And notice the end of that phrase says, uh, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. You ever tried to breathe smoke? That's why it mentions air there. It makes it hard to breathe. Um... I live in North Carolina, um, and presently I believe there's like some pretty bad um, fires going on in Canada. Uh, it, I haven't read about it, but I'm, I'm uh, understanding that it's somewhere out west or something. But uh, you can go outside now, and, and the air is hard to breathe. Um, that smoke from those great fires are, are, are affecting the air we're breathing here. So there's that. Uh, okay, so that was the mission. All right, now the method uh, is covered in verses 3 through 12. The method. And the method is broken up into um, four sections. Um, verses 3 through 5 uh, gives us the definition. And in the definition, it tells us about their looks and their limits. Uh, the second part is uh, the desperation in verse 6. The description in verse 7 through 10, and then the director in verse 11. All right, so let's look here at the first part, the definition, verses 3 through 5. Um, and that gives us uh, their looks and then their limits. Now, the looks is all covered in verse 3. Uh, and there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. So, locusts come out of the smoke, uh, but the first thing we note is that these are not normal locusts. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, the locust is used as a symbol of destruction. Um, I think the first mention of locusts is in the plagues in, uh, there in Exodus. Uh, now, the first two chapters of Joel describes uh, their destructive capability. Uh, we're not going to read the entire first two chapters, 
Uh, but I'm going to give you a minute, if you will, uh, look up the book of Joel, chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1 through 11, uh, which talk about these locusts. Joel, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 11. And of course, Joel is one of the, uh, they call them minor prophets, but you know, there's nothing minor about any of them. Um, let's see. Okay, he's right before Amos and Zechariah and all them. He's right after Hosea, which is right after Daniel. Daniel, Hosea, Joel. So it's Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, the book of Joel. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, chapter 2. Yeah, let me get it over here where I can see it. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong. There hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness, yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses. Remember, that's a description of the locusts back there. And as horsemen, so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots, that's another one we heard, on the tops of mountains shall they leap, like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble, as a strong people set in battle array. Before their face the people shall be much painted, or pained, I'm sorry, much pained. All faces shall gather blackness. They shall run like mighty men, they shall climb the wall like men of war, and they shall march every one on his ways, and they shall not break their ranks. Neither shall one thrust another. That means they get along, they don't fight. Uh, they shall walk every one in his path, and when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up upon the houses. They shall enter in at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And the uh, Lord shall utter his voice before his army. For his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Who can abide it? Okay, so there we read in the book of Joel um, a little bit of a description on the power of these locusts. Uh, I did a little study on these locusts. Uh, researched a little bit about them and I wanted to let you know um, how locusts interact with each other and, and it kind of gives you an idea uh, a little bit about them. Now uh, one thing about a locust is that they breed in dry dark desert places and invade cultivated lands for food. A uh, locust is about two inches in length and has a wingspan of four to five inches. So that, that's a pretty big, as you call it, bug. <laughs> uh, they belong to the same family as the cricket and the grasshopper. They travel in a column 
a hundred feet deep and as much as four miles long. That's a lot of bugs. A hundred feet deep and as much as four miles long. Wow. Okay, when they are on the move, the cloud of locusts, as it's called, looks like they eclipse the sun and a building 200 feet away cannot be seen. That's how thick they are. In 1866, when a plague of locusts invaded Algiers, the destruction was so devastating that 200,000 people died from famine. The noise of their wings in flight is like the sound of water crashing over a large waterfall. The sound of their eating is described uh, similar to a prairie fire. When they march, it sounds like heavy rain falling on a distant forest. So that's pretty much three sounds associated with them, with their wings, with their eating, and with their marching. Uh, the Hebrew language has several names which describe uh, their destructive power. Uh, the first Hebrew word is gazam, G-A-Z-A-M, which means the lopper or the shearer, which describes how it shears all living vegetation from the earth. Uh, the next word is arbel, A-R-B-E-L, and that word means the swarmer, which describes the immensity of its numbers. Uh, the other Hebrew word is hashil, H-A-S-I-L, uh, and that is the definition of that word is the finisher, which describes the devastation it causes. Uh, solam, S-O-L-A-M, solam, means the swallower or the annihilator, which describes what it leaves in its path. Hargol, H-A-R-G-O-L, hargol, means the galloper, which describes its rapid movement of, uh, across the land. And let's see, then there is the word, boy, this, mm, uh, Tlatzel, I think that's how you pronounce it, Tlatzel, that's T-Z-E-L-A-T-Z-E-L, Tlatzel, Tlatzel, I don't know, it means the creaker, which describes the sound it makes, okay, so, uh, the Hebrew have a language which is very colorful in describing something like a simple locust in one, two, three, four, five, six different words in the sounds and the destructions they make. Oh, that's crazy. All right, so uh, that um, these locusts also, uh, in that verse, it just says that they have the power of scorpions, <clears throat> which is... Uh, the ability to inflict pain. Now about a scorpion. It looks like a small lobster with small claws to clutch its prey. It has a long tail which curves upward over its back and then over its head. So it comes out, it's got a head and then I guess I think it's called a thorax, the body. And then there's the tail. And that tail curves up and over the top of him and forward where there's a tip on the end of that tail with a stinger in it and it sticks out in front of his head. And the point is, uh, this scorpion will grab onto a, uh, its prey with the claws and, in, and hit it with that stinger and, and, and it, it paralyzes it until the scorpion can eat it. So 
uh, a scorpion can be up to six inches long. Most of them are smaller, but they can get up to six inches long. Uh, it swarms in small holes in the walls of houses or under rocks. Uh, the sting of a scorpion is worse than that of a large hornet. It is not necessarily fatal, but it can certainly kill. So, I mean, I've been stung by a small hornet. never a big hornet. There are big hornets around here, but so far we have an agreement. Uh, I haven't experienced that. Now, when you combine the powers and the destructive capabilities of these two animals combined into what comes out of this smoke, uh, you could call this Satan's all-star team of demons. I mean, these guys are something. Uh, but they're not running willy-nilly. They, they are controlled. Uh, and that is described in the next point here in their limits. Their limits, verses 4 and 5. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass, the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. So locusts are incredibly destructive in their hunger. Uh, John Phillips, in his uh, commentary exploring Revelation uh, on this point, he says, and I quote, The ordinary locust descends upon the earth in dense clouds and devours every green thing in sight. The worst locust plague in modern times struck the Middle East in 1951 and 52, when in Iraq, Iran, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Every green and growing thing was devoured across hundreds of thousands of square miles. Locusts eat grain, leaf and stalk, right down to the bare ground. When a swarm arises and flies on its way, the green field is left a desert. Barrenness and desolation stretches as far as the eye can see. Okay, now, unquote. Uh, from that description, we see that the locust's main food source are green things. Yet here in chapter 9 of Revelation, uh, they are commanded not to do what a locust normally does. Now we understand these are not normal locusts, but the point is they are commanded not to eat the grass, any green thing, neither any tree. Their point is to come and torture these men who are not uh, uh, do not have the seal of God in their foreheads for five months. All right, so these demons are so locust-like in their appetites that they have to be restrained, as I said, uh, from eating all the vegetation, uh, vegetation, even limited to specific humans to target. Even so, they are further detained from killing these humans, but told only to torment them uh, alone. Uh, limited to a five-month uh, period of time. This is the normal life cycle of an actual locust from birth to death. Uh, and in the year, calendar year, uh, this is usually from May to September. Now the pain they inflict will be like that of a scorpion, so how bad will the pain be? Uh, we're told in verse 6 in the desperation. Verse 6 describes for us the desperation. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. 
Now the pain will be so horrible that mankind will attempt to literally kill themselves to escape it, but they will not be able to or allowed to. So they're not going to be able to or allowed to at the same time. Uh, the word used to describe the infliction of this pain is torment, a word generally associated with demons. Now, the agony is so incredible uh, that men who, man who normally flees from death will actually seek out death uh, to stop this pain. And, and, and I, I know pain has many uh, levels to it, especially in the forms of torture. Um, a human body can only take so much. So uh, you, I could see the point where they would seek out death just to stop the pain uh, that they're uh, inflicting on them. And because they're not allowed to, you think, well, how, how is that possible? It's because the power of life and death belong to the Lord. Not only the power to live, or allow to live, but also the power to uh, to, to allow to die. Uh, and that's talked about in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 8. There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. So this proves the deity of Christ, who through his own power, gave up the ghost at Calvary. In other words, he dismissed his spirit. This is something no man can do. God had to will himself to die, had to allow himself to die. All right, uh, that's the desperation. Now, verse 7 through 10 gives us uh, the description of these locusts, a further description of these locusts. Uh, verse 7, And the shapes of the locusts were likened to horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. Uh, this, this is a scary-looking creature here. So horses, uh, usually instruments of war, symbolic of defiance. Imagine a high-spirited steed straining at the leash and pawning the ground in their eagerness to rush forward on their mission of doom. Uh, and, and we've seen some highly spirited horses before and they're kind of intimidating because already a full-grown horse is pretty much taller than a man uh just like you know snorting at the nostrils and pawing the earth with his hoof um that's what these locusts are going to be looking like uh they've been bound for so long and when they're set free man it's all hands on deck that's all i can tell you i mean they're going to cut loose uh within their limitations that they're still given but imagine what would happen if they weren't limited. Imagine the destruction that they could inflict. Uh, the second thing it talks about is these crowns like gold. It didn't say crowns of gold. It said crowns like gold. Now, a crown symbolizes victory. But the use of the word like indicates that their crowns are imitations. They think they will be victorious, but they will not be. Uh, it also says they, has, uh, they have faces of men, uh, which is symbolic of their intelligence. Uh, these creatures will be clever, 
with diabolical cunningness. Modern man does not believe in demons. His attitude could be likened to the attitude of man in the Dark Ages toward bacteria. Uh, London, 1666. The Great Bubonic Plague is at its height. It is believed that the cause is fresh air. Yeah, they thought that what was killing everybody was fresh air. The College of Physicians recommends the frequent firing of guns to blow away the deadly air. Well, now that might have been a lot of fun, but putting a lot of black powder in the air, cordite, while it still smells pretty good to most of us who have been in the military, and, you know, it's not very good to just continually breathe it all the time. Uh, people seal themselves in rooms and burn... <laughs> they burn human waste to ward off fresh air. How completely different than what we do today. Well, we put fresh air scents in our cars, in our bathrooms, in our living rooms, in our bedrooms, in our kitchen, and here they are. They're doing the exact opposite. All on the suggestion of someone in authority. Does that sound familiar today? Yes, it does. Uh, continuing on. Even chimneys are sealed. The rooms inside are gray with smoke and people are choking in the suffocating stench. An estimated 100,000 people die within the one-year stretch of the disease. That's nearly one quarter of the entire city population of London because someone said, oh, it's the fresh air. Where is the proof? Where is the proof? Now, we could have suggested that the cause was uh, bacteria from a flea bite carried from small infected animals like rats, but they would have laughed us to scorn, except, you know what, that's what it really was. People just, I, you know, prove it. Okay, uh, verse 8 goes on. It says, And they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. Uh, the hair of women. Now, this is a mark of glory. A woman's glory. Uh, men with long hair, the Bible calls them a shame. Uh, yeah, long hair is a glory of a woman. Uh, all you fellows out there with long, flowing, golden locks or black shiny hair whatever it may be uh let me tell you not what i think about it but what the bible says about it in first corinthians chapter 11 verses 14 and 15 i'm gonna repeat it for you just so you can make sure you can look it up yourself first corinthians chapter 11 verses 14 through 15 doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair it is a shame unto him but if a woman have long hair it is a glory to her for her hair is given her for a covering paul says hey man even nature tells you if a man have long hair he's it's a shame <laughs> that's what the bible says so you know don't get mad at me that's just what the bible says so uh so they have hair like women. Now, this suggests that there is something horribly and seductively attractive 
about these demons. They're beautiful. And now this could be a tool that they use to lure men into their traps of destruction. It's what it sounds like to me. I don't know. But something draws men in that they can kill them. Or not kill them, but uh, torture them for five months. So you'd think after the first few people kind of get the, you know, clue. But anyway, they're drawn to them for something. Uh, then it says teeth of lions, uh, which tells us of their cruelty. Uh, the teeth of a lion inflicts a terrible wound. While the bite may not kill, because they're told not to kill, its teeth are so filled with infection that the wound rarely heals completely. And that's talking about a lion's bite. Now, a lion's bite can kill, uh, but in most bites from uh, cases of a bite from a lion, uh, because look at what they're they're eating all that meat, raw meat, and some of it's starting to rot and stuff like that. So all that bacteria is in their teeth. They don't brush their teeth. They don't floss. And so when they bite you, that bacteria on their teeth are getting in your blood. So once it gets in there, uh, it ain't coming out. Very rarely does it completely come out. Okay, verse 9 goes on. It says, uh, they had breastplates, as it were, breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. Uh, breastplates of iron uh, tells us that they were resistless to the enemy. Uh, they could resist the enemy. Uh, they will not have the capacity for compassion. Uh, they're going to run people over, and you're not going to be able to defend yourself. Now, let's just face it. It's going to be like a, uh, what do you call it, um, bulletproof vest on a demon. Think about that for a minute. A bulletproof vest wearing killer demon. That's what we're looking at here. Uh, the sound of their wings. Uh, it sends terror and fear into their victims. There, there will be no place to hide, no refuge whatsoever. And all you can hear is the sound of this horrible buzzing sound, and you know they're coming for you. You know they're coming for you. That's the worst horror film ever created by any movie production. I promise you that. Uh, verse 10, and they had tails like in the scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. It repeats that phrase there. Now, tails like scorpions, the singers were to inflict incredible pain. The Bible here, again, repeats almost the same phrase, their power was to hurt men five months, as, it in, as in verse 5. They should be tormented five months. This shows that the detail is important. These demons have one simple plan, to injure men. Again, five months was the lifespan of a locust, so there's that. All right, so let's look at their director in verse 11. Their director. And within their director, we'll point out two things. First of all, that he is unique. And second of all, that he is understood. Unique and understood. Um, unique. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit. Now, the book of Proverbs tells us in verse 30, or chapter 30 and verse 27, that uh, it says, the locusts have no king. Yet go they forth, all of them, by bands. Normal locusts have no king, but these do. Uh, even ants have a queen. Uh, bees have a queen. But these locusts do not have a king. Now, uh, 
the incredible thing, uh, read this again, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit. So, totally in contrast to regular locusts, they have a king. And then the second part here is that this king comes out of this pit with them. It was an angel of the bottomless pit. So, it's like as if their lone intelligence is not enough. We see that they are led by a capable and able satanic demon, uh, even of further intellect than what these creatures have. So, adding to that point that it comes out of the bottomless pit, we automatically know that it's not talking about Satan as their king. This is a demon among them that, that is their king. Uh, because Satan would, would not come out of the bottomless pit at this point in time. Um, so that shows how they're unique. Now, look at the point about them being him being understood. It gives us two names. It says, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. So he's known by two names, Abaddon and Apollyon. The Hebrew, Abaddon, means destruction. Destruction. The Greek name, Apollyon, means the destroyer. The destroyer. Now, the giving of his name in both Hebrew and Greek shows that both Jew and Gentile alike will fall prey to this demon and his hordes. Now, note the people that were protected that it was mentioned uh, in verse 4. They were commanded not to hurt, you know, the grass, the trees, and all that. Uh, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. That's not every Jew. Um, if they don't have that seal, they're going to be tormented too. So, you know, equal opportunity destroyer coming your way. Um, verse 12, B, the mention. The mention. Now, as if going through the very action is not enough, the Holy Spirit wails in a loud voice that this is only the first woe and then says there are still two more to go. Uh, John Phillips in his commentary uh, has a quote and he says, uh, at this point he says, man is now in the hands of demons who drive the human race from one insanity to another, end quote. I I'm going to read that again. Man is now in the hands of demons who drive the human race from one insanity to another, end quote. Can you just contemplate what, the, what that means? It's, it's not God has not pulled his hand completely away. This is not utter and total chaos. <laughs> not like it could be. Remember, uh, God allowed this bottomless pit to open. He turned these demons loose on the earth. But he limited what they could do. And even in that, uh, they still are within the first woe. There are two more to come. And on top of that, we have to remember, remember or remind ourselves, we're still in the first half of the tribulation. We're not even in the great tribulation yet. Uh, it's mind-boggling when you start trying to rank uh, just how bad things are going to be 
and when you try and, and wrap your head around just how bad some of this is, it's got even nothing compared to what's coming down the road. Uh, it, it, and it's like from one insanity to another, John Phillips nailed it on the head. Uh, j just when you're pressed to the limit of your understanding and insanity, lo, lo and behold, here comes another one. And then right after that, here's another one and another one and then another one and another one and another one and another one. I mean, it's just like, wow, it just comes and comes and comes. There ain't no end to it. Okay, so uh, that is the first half of uh, chapter nine here. And we were basically uh, pointing out, uh, let me get to my point here, uh, a satanically energized belief which afflicts humanity. A satanically energized belief which affects humanity. Verse 13 through uh, 21, the end of the chapter, will cover a satanically energized battle which alters history. A satanically energized battle which alters history. So, uh, We'll end on this point, and I certainly hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you uh, learned something. I mean, that's why we're here. Study the Bible and learn. I learned just right along with you. As I'm reading this, uh, we were talking about the other day, me and my wife and uh, one of my boys. Um, every time I go back through this, uh, something else comes out. God reveals something else, or a note just is clarified, easier, whatever it may be, but uh, I, I hope you uh, have the same experience with that. I certainly am humbled and I'm honored that you uh, join me on the podcast today. And, and it's it's about us learning. I, that that's my goal. I just want I like to teach uh, from the Bible, not from man's opinion. I, I do in turn give you my opinion, and I'll tell you it's my opinion when I do. Uh, but this information uh, is based on what the Bible tells us, and. Uh, that's the best source to learn from about the Bible is the Bible itself. All right, uh, so we've got to close. We're about out of time. Uh, once again, I thank you for joining me and certainly uh, ask you to pray for me. Uh, pray for this ministry as it is, uh, that the Lord gets the honor and the glory out of it, that he continues to help me to do this. Uh, and pray for each one of the listeners out there. Um, some of you I, I know personally. Uh, you've told me that you listened to it, and I thank you for that. Uh, and, and I ask you to remember to pray for each other. Uh, we all have something to pray for out there, so uh, we help each other out by that, okay? All right, so thank you for listening, and God bless you. Have a great day.